This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, we sit down with Howie Kaplan, the nightmare of New Orleans, as he looks back on his first year on the job focusing on the city's nighttime economy. And the award-winning Broadway musical, Wicked, is heading back to the Sanger Theater. We'll talk with Olivia Valley, who stars in the role of the Wicked Witch, Alphaba. But first... The combat sport of jiu-jitsu is a mixed martial art of ground fighting, grappling, and submission holds. Popularity has grown in the United States, and the only professional jiu-jitsu league in the country started in Decatur, Alabama. Gulf States Newsroom's Joseph King has the story. When you think of jiu-jitsu, the sanctuary of the Becoming Church in Decatur, Alabama, may not come to mind. But this small North Alabama town is home to Brandon McCaffrey. Um, this is the big city to me. McCaffrey is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and all of that knowledge is coming out while he's showing me around. Oh, here, let's walk this way just a little bit so I can get a good look. There we go. Okay, Church. Paul Barry and Luke Church go head-to-head on the mat. They're exchanging positions. One of these athletes is looking to get to the top position. Church makes a huge sacrifice throw over the top. That was incredible. McCaffrey trained with some of the best in the sport, like Eddie Bravo. He's an acclaimed martial arts instructor for this fast-growing version of jiu-jitsu. McCaffrey took what he learned from Bravo in Los Angeles and started teaching at Decatur. And five years ago, he created something new and different in the world of jiu-jitsu, a professional federation. I mean, to me, it's just like a no-brainer. We already know what's palatable. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, these are all leagues. College basketball, college football, they're leagues. And so what I decided we should do is to take jiu-jitsu and just lay it onto a format that we know works already. They call it the PGF. That's the Professional Grappling Federation. Instead of one-off tournament weekends for competitions, the PGF has a whole season. For viewers, they get the chance to watch athletes show off their skills and then get drafted to teams. Then they compete in a regular season. Then the final few teams go to the playoffs for a chance to win the championship belt. The coolest thing to me about the PGF is because of the way that we stretch it out over multiple matches, multiple days, we take a whole week to dig into results, it's not always the quote-unquote top guys, the best guys that make it to the playoff. A lot of Another unique part of McCaffrey's federation is that, unlike traditional jiu-jitsu tournaments where competitors rack up points to win, in PGF you can only win if you make your opponent tap out within a six-minute match. That means athletes are forced to grapple to the very last second. It doesn't matter what the points are. The only way to score points in the PGF is to finish the opponent. McCaffrey says there are a few athletes that are relatively new to jiu-jitsu that have been successful. Nakaya Jackson, the current champion in the women's division, has been training for six years and competing for about four. McCaffrey is her coach, and she says she pushed him to add women into the mix. He had two seasons, and I was like, you need to get some women in here. Like, I compete a bunch. I compete all over. And he had never invited a bunch of women in, and I was like, dude, you got to start a, a season for women. Jackson is from Mississippi. You can say her path into jiu-jitsu was unorthodox. So I moved here uh, for like an engineering internship 
met Brandon, started training, decided that this is what I wanted to do, and then I just stopped everything else, moved here and started training full-time. She wants more women, specifically black women, to try jujitsu as well. The sports growing is something that all people can get into. It's not, uh, the barrier to entry is, is pretty low. It takes courage to move away from your home to pursue your career. Another athlete left his boxing gym in St. Petersburg, Russia, to compete this season. Uh, it's like, for me, like, middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's Fyodor Nikolov. The 27-year-old has been training in martial arts for years. I started, like, at 17, and since that I'm doing martial arts. It's about 10 years of martial arts, yeah. For a long time, people who wanted to compete as grapplers had to have a day job. But Nikolov coming to the U.S. to compete full-time is a sign that this sport is growing. At the end of this latest season, McCaffrey teased some big changes. I called him up to find out more. We're going to Vegas. The Federation hit the big time. It's moving to Las Vegas. But McCaffrey says this operation couldn't have started in Vegas. For one, he's got a lot of people here. You know, the commentators, the photographers. All these people are basically volunteers who keep each season running smoothly. They needed to build a federation in a place like Decatur. I think we needed to make our mistakes small, you know. So we have this idea. Let's just start throwing stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Now it's time to scale up. One part of this move, they'll be able to pay athletes more too. McCaffrey says it'll be among the highest paydays in the sport for competitors. And even though they're moving west, McCaffrey says he's not leaving he'll still run his gym in Decatur. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Joseph King. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among public radio stations in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. The story of two witches, one good and one evil, comes to life as the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Wicked returns to the Sanger Theater. We get a glimpse of what life was like in the land of Oz before Dorothy's arrival. Olivia Valley plays the role of the Wicked Witch, Elphaba. And she joins us now. Olivia, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you so much for having me. This musical is based on The Wizard of Oz and the novel Wicked by Jerry Maguire. And we really get the inside scoop into the development of your character, the Wicked Witch, Elphaba, and that of Glinda, the Good Witch. Tell us about your role and how the character became so wicked. Who is Elphaba, and why is her skin so green? Well, I cannot give away why her skin is green, but we do see that maybe Elphaba is not wicked at all, and that the circumstances around her were morphed into the narrative that she is wicked, because Elphaba is actually quite good. She's a girl that wants to be accepted and loved for who she is and who is ostracized for her talent and her skin color. And people reject her and make fun of her for that. And Glinda actually is a very big bully to her in a lot of act one. We get a glimpse into how people around her spin the narrative to change who she is to fit whatever is comfortable for them. Now, we were speaking about her skin color, the green, and I'm just curious, what is it like getting into costume and applying that green makeup night after night? I've never had a better skincare routine in my whole life. 
<laughs> um, Tashana Ferguson, our makeup artist, uh, greenifies me every single night with a MAC water-based paint. And it feels like a second skin. It's not cakey. It's not thick. It's actually quite thin, which is nice. But to transform into Elphaba every single night is, it's a great way for me to get focused. It reminds me of why I'm telling the story and who needs to hear it. And for people out there who do feel ostracized, either for their gender or their talent, and especially their skin color, um, this is a very important story to tell. And it's important that I'm always reminded of that to carry that message forward. And that, you know, oppressors will try as they might to bring people down who are viewed as different, but they can also rise above and be stronger than ever. Now, what drew you to this character? I've always been a little misunderstood. I never really fit in. I've always been the really awkward girl or the funny girl or the girl that is seen as just the friend and never the romantic interest. I've always been somebody who is incredibly driven and I'm extremely loyal, just like Alphaba. And I am fearless in my pursuit of what I want in my life. And Alphaba is too, and that often leads to people misunderstanding her. I am also somebody that takes my strength in stride and I don't apologize for it. And that's also Alphaba. And so when I saw Wicked for the first time in 2011, the minute she ran on stage and she said her first three lines, I was like, this is somebody I need to be. This is somebody I need to play. So what were those three lines? Oh, do I have something in my teeth? And it's Alphaba automatically using humor and sarcasm to be like, what? Why are you all looking at me? I'm not different than any of you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's exactly who I am. So set the stage for us. What is the storyline? The storyline is actually about two women and their unconditional love for one another and what friendship really means. They are two people who are not fighting over a man. They are two people who come from two completely different worlds. One is a world of pain and being misunderstood and the other is a world of privilege and never being told no. And how they see one another for who they are and they choose to love and support each other even through their differences, even through times of fear. And they choose one another time and time again. And I think that's what makes Wicked so strong is that we are seeing a story of two women and it's not about competing with one another. It is about coming together. Friendships will change as we change, but at the end of the day, we actively choose our people. What are some of the other themes that are addressed? That beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that people can change, people can learn to be empathetic, people can learn their power and not be afraid of it. People learn about corruption and how not everybody is as they seem, and that Evil sometimes is right in front of your eyes, but it is not as obvious as we make it out to be. And that evil is underhanded, evil is conniving, and evil sets the most innocent people up 
for failure? And how does how does one rise above that? And what do you do? And how do you question your humanity through a show like Wicked? So let's talk about some of your big numbers in this production. What's your big song? The big song is certainly Defying Gravity. You know, you're singing 14 feet in the air. Singing something that has defined musical theater and raised the bar for musical theater is really something really spectacular. And to watch people experience it for the first time or the hundredth time, it is still something that just blows people away. It's a very emotional moment because it's so overwhelmingly powerful. Wicked continues to be popular among audiences around the world. What is the big takeaway that relates to modern day life? This is a story of an underdog. And Elphaba is, I think, somebody we can all relate to because we have all either felt undervalued, not appreciated, like an outcast. We've all felt that kind of pain. And so to be able to watch somebody like Elphaba rise and overcome things that seem impossible is something we all want for ourselves. And so we all see a part of ourselves in a character like Elphaba. Olivia Valley is Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West. It's been fun talking with you. Thank you once again for having me. Wicked, the musical, runs November 29th through December 17th at the Sanger Theater. More info is online at sangernola.com. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Any New Orleanian knows the city takes pride in its bustling nightlife. Between jazz halls, dance clubs, and even popular street corners, New Orleans After Hours isn't just fun for tourists and locals. It's also vital to the city's economy. Last year, Mayor Latoya Cantrell's administration created a new office focused on nighttime economy helmed by Howie Kaplan. Kaplan is the owner of the Howlin' Wolf, a popular music venue, and manages Rebirth Brass Band. The so-called night mayor joins us now to talk about his first year on the job and what his office is working on. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Diane. Howie, let's back up for a minute. How did you find yourself leading the Office of Nighttime Economy? How exactly did this position come to be? You know, you can wish upon a star. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm teasing. Um, So I'm I'm also the precinct captain for a group called the National Independent Venue Association. And they had this thing called uh, this thing called the Save Our Stages Act, which was a sixteen point two five billion dollar arts bill that was bipartisan, went through Congress, and its goal was to uh, save and support independent music venues. You know, they were the first to close, last to open out of the pandemic. And uh, and it went to nonprofits, performing arts centers, um, you know, Broadway. And um, 
you see the power of of an office like this, in particular for a city like New Orleans, where our culture is everything. Our culture is our dollars. And so as you, you keep going through the process, we put together a political action committee with a, a number of restaurants, bars, music venues, hotels. And the only ask was to be was to be recognized, to have a seat at the table. There's a, a great Ann Richards quote I really, really love. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And I think the former governor of Texas, uh, she really nailed it in that. And so we started the process and, and recognized that the administration and several council members had already started the process. In 2019, uh, they hit the road and they went to uh, two other places that had nighttime economy offices in, uh, in Seattle and San Francisco. And so this was something that had already started. Right now, there are 18 of these offices nationwide. But I love to think that New Orleans, because of our culture, because it means so much to us and so much to the rest of the world, that we get to lead the way in this. And for people who may not be clear on the position, how do you describe the role and its responsibilities? Oh, my. Um, it, you know, it's it's a little bit of everything. Some of the best advice I got was to sit there and listen. And so for the past year, uh, we've been listening to, you know, different businesses, neighborhoods, neighborhood groups, the council, the mayor, um, the public safety team, including, you know, the, the, the superintendent, including the police captains. Um, there's so many things that it can be. Um, but for us, you know, my job is to advocate for the nighttime cultural economy of the city of New Orleans and her culture bears. And it's a huge honor to be able to do that, but it means something a little bit different every day. I was told this week, and it's something we've been pushing for, that the Office of Safety and Permits is going to have a nighttime person on. So they'll be on Wednesday through Sunday. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that in a lot of the other agencies as well. And, and it's exciting to be a part of that because this is really a, a team effort from everybody. What would you say have been some of your biggest accomplishments in the role so far? Um, you know, I'm real excited about a few different things. There, there's one that we announced a, a, about a month or so ago that was the musician loading zones. Um, so musicians don't get parking tickets while they're you know loading and unloading their gear. It was a, it was a big deal. And it was something, again, uh, 2019, the council had put it through and I had no idea it existed until, until we started asking questions. And it had just never been implemented. And so we went through the process with the various departments and, and got it unveiled. Um, huge win coming out because it's a first step in recognizing what we can do to help our content creators and our culture bears. Um, you know, the Narcan behind every bar program that we've been working on pretty consistently. It's uh, definitely in the interest of public safety. You know, we're talking about people that are, that are poisoned. Um, and when they're poisoned, we have the ability to use the hospitality industry to create, you know, a safety, a safety line. Um, we're working with EMS right now and the NOPD on on Mardi Gras, where we're going to be going along the route and seeing places where we can, you know, place AEDs, where we can do more Narcan training, where we can do stop the bleed training and showing the power again of, of the hospitality industry. Um, you know, I'm real excited that we're bringing actually the National Independent Venue Association conference here next year. That'll be 1,500 to 2,000 people. Um, that's a lot of heads and beds. And so we're excited about that uh, right now, working with four different promoters and ways to um, replace that void that was lost by uh, voodoo music experience not happening and you know on Halloween weekend and you know the buku music experience you know so we're working with a bunch of different entities and we continue to grow and evolve um, very excited that we just had a new hire on this Monday and as of uh, a week from Monday uh, the office will be at full staff so we'll be able to do a ton more outreach and a ton more uh, ton more work we are speaking with Howie Kaplan New Orleans's nightmare. Critics say your office has been difficult to get in contact with. Calls and emails 
have gone unanswered. Is it fair to say your office hasn't been as responsive as it needs to be? So it's it's funny you bring that one up. So, um, no, I think we're actually quite responsive. But for the longest time, I was an office of one. Um, but there was an article that came out that talked about, you know, somebody couldn't get a hold of me and I actually ended up reaching out to them. Um, they had had my wrong email address. And so, you know, for a time, we didn't have a phone number. We didn't have a website. You know, thank goodness we have a deputy, a deputy now who has a ton of experience in helping us navigate this. I'd never been in government service. So we finally have a, a website that's up. You know, you go straight to the Office of Nighttime Economy through NOLA.gov. You get straight to NOLA Nightmare at NOLA.gov. Um, but it's, it's, I think, a lot easier now that we've gotten the right email address, the right phone numbers, and we do our best to be responsive. Um, and it's going to be a lot easier now that the office is at full staff. And, and our goal in this process, again, we have no enforcement power. And so us working in conjunction with all the various city departments, with the council members, and as a representative of the mayor and the cultural community, um, we want to be that. And if we're not, please call us again and again and again, or please write us again and again. Um, sometimes it's just there's only so many hours in a day and so many hours in a night. And uh, I'm not going to pretend we're perfect at it, on it. You know, there are times that there will be so much that comes through. It's difficult to get to it all. Um, but we're finally, I think, uh, I think reaching our zenith and, and the ability to handle it and to implement programs and to uh, and to better advocate for all the culture bears. Let's remember, there's 50,000 people in the hospitality industry in the city of New Orleans. That means in every single neighborhood, there's a culture bear. There's somebody that's related to the industry. So our job isn't just to advocate for bars or restaurants or venues. It's for the people that live in those neighborhoods, too. Let's dig into some of your current work. I know you're working with the Regional Transit Authority, the RTA, to explore creating a shuttle specifically for hospitality workers downtown. Tell us about this project and why this is a priority for your office. Well, it's a... this one goes to another place that's actually trying to start a, a nighttime economy office, and this is in Cleveland. And they did a workforce development survey. And what they found is one of the top three th- reasons people are leaving the hospitality industry was transportation. And that really kind of it kind of struck a nerve because we recognize that it's tough for people to get to these jobs and to get home. And And when we talk about nighttime economy, we're not just talking about Again, bars and restaurants are just the quarter. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, the hospitals and the, you know, you know, the health district that's going on over there. We're talking about the airport. You know, when your flight leaves at five or six in the morning, someone's got to be there, you know, at three or four to get the job done. And so we're talking about all of that. So we're really excited about this survey because I think we're asking the right questions. We can't get those answers until we start asking those questions. So if you go straight to, again, the Office of Nighttime Economy, right on NOLA.gov, we've got that transportation survey there. And we're, we're doing a, a ton of outreach as well, including the Hotel and Lodging Association, the Louisiana Restaurant Association. You know, we're, we're, we're pounding the pavement, getting people to, to fill this out so we can better work with the RTA when they're putting in these new programs. I like the idea of a circulator. Again, that's something that I think would, would be good. But we're also looking at parking. You know, we're looking at two different areas um, outside the French Quarter that will hopefully get hundreds of cars out of the quarter and, and give people a safe place to park and get to work in time. Howie Kaplan, director of the New Orleans Office of Nighttime Economy. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Diane. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, Olivia Valley, as Alphaba in the national tour of the musical Wicked. 
and New Orleans nightmare, Howie Kaplan. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.